Hi, friends. Welcome to our podcast, Happily Together. We're your hosts. I'm Kara. And I'm Caleb. And can we just say that we are so glad you are here. Oh, it's a good day to be alive. I count my blessings and keep them all at my side. There ain't no stopping us or stopping. Well, Christy, I am so glad that you're with us. Thank you so much for taking the time. And I'm curious, how's your heart? How are you doing? Mm. Mm. Starting off with the easy questions. (laughs) Going real light. You know, the last couple weeks have been a pretty intense period for me. And my my heart's actually been a little bit on the heavy side. Mm. You know, Mm. just navigating being a human in relationship with humans, doing human things. And, you know, I think it takes a lot of, um, it just takes a lot of time and space to be fully human. Yeah. That is the truth. That is the absolute um, truth. Elaborate, I mean, as much as you want on like, you know, this past season, what you are leaning into. Hmm. Hmm. I'm just going to tune in for a second. I've been rereading Clarissa Pinkola Estes' book, Women Who Run With the Wolves. Yes, me too. That's so weird. Really? And my business partner. That is so weird. Keep going. It's like circular. Well, I mean, I I remember reading it when it first came out. I mean, I'm I'm of that generation that I was, you know, I just actually had my kids when it first came out. And I don't think I really understood the, the depth of the sort of initiatory journey that it is to become a mother or a father. Mm. So in rereading the the myths and the stories and the the sort of archetypal initiations that we go through, um, it's been really helpful for me in 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 the recent sort of season, I love that word, Caleb, mm. to really be able to deepen into how to hold myself Mm. while being in relationship to others. Mm. Mm -hmm. You know, I think that for so many people, but I can really only speak as a woman or really for myself, but I know this is true for a lot of the women that I work with that, that that tension of how to really be fully rooted in myself and perhaps even rooted in something larger than myself. Yeah. And being able to stay with myself, stay in connection with myself, to speak what is true, even when it's even when it perhaps threatens a connection or yes. confronts a connection. Yeah. And and how to do that from a place of, you know, I, I really don't love the word sovereignty. I think that some of these words get sort of yeah. pulled into the kind of common parlance and they really lose their potency Mm. but i do think it is a word that is you know can be a good shorthand for that sense of of being able to stay in ourselves and understand and really like understand at the level of our body the the rightness of who we are and still be in deep relationship Mm. it's beautiful that is so beautiful i just recently learned the term yeah thank you for sharing I recently learned the term self with and this girl was describing I don't want to be selfless I don't want to be self Mm. selfish I want to be self with 
And it really mm-hmm. comes to mind when you speak of that holding self, being with self in the midst of also being in connection with other people and caring about them. And growing up for me, selflessness was glorified, <laughs> but I found mm-hmm. myself at 30 in a wild uh, abundance of patterns of self-abandonment. Mm. And then I began the journey back home to myself. And I just really love what what you're naming because I think, I mean, I can only speak for myself and the women I work with and women in general, but I really do feel like it's a common experience to have that experience of self-abandonment and then have to begin the journey back home. But what you're naming, this idea of being with self is so profound. Yeah. For me, that learning that really came from understanding what self-attunement is Mm. and, and where I actually, where I actually didn't know how to self-attune or where I lost self-attunement because attunement really is the language of love. It's Mm. For me, the, the the definition of attunement is a loving, responsive presence. Mm. And that we learn attunement in relationship. So like we learn attunement by being attuned to from our caregivers. Yeah. And if that attunement was either if there was either like misattunement chronically or periodically that results in like a sense of rupture mm. or disconnection, or if there was inadequate or inaccurate attunement. Mm we might develop a a self-attunement that's sort of based in that framework of inadequate or inaccurate or, or incomplete or inconsistent. Mm. And that was definitely my experience. So there, there came a time and, you know, I think for women, like somewhere between 30 and 40, you know, and most of us, for most of us, I think it's probably closer to the forties when we really start to say, Oh, this is what's going on. (laughs) But there came a point for me, and it was actually in part of, you know, very long recovery from what I, you know, could be called like an eating disorder or a food addiction, but essentially like a an attempt to get a need met mm-hmm. is what I think of addictions sure. as. Mm-hmm. But the realization that without like this 12-step structure that had really given me a lot of support and capacity that I that I'd lacked. But with, without that, I wouldn't actually know how to feed myself, mm. like literally mm-hmm. and, and metaphorically. And and it was sort of like this awakening of, oh, my God, I don't actually know what my needs are, yeah. let alone how to meet them. And that sort of triggered this many, many years long sort of seeking of like, what does it mean to be in relationship with my own needs? Mm. And to be able to get those met in, in ways that are healthy and non, non-self-harming. So ways that are self-with. I love that term. Mm-hmm. I'd never heard that. Isn't it yeah. good? It's so good. It's really good. Can you break down this idea of attunement? Because I think it's really good. And yeah. for somebody listening who doesn't have a, a concept of what that means. And is it synonymous with like attachment styles? Hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think it fits in with attachment. You know, like... Um, I, I actually think attachment theory can be a, a useful tool. Sure. It can be a useful lens. Just like you know, polarity can be a useful lens. I'm I'm rarely wedded to any particular mm-hmm. lens. I think that they can be useful in certain circumstances, but they don't necessarily give us the entire perspective. Mm-hmm. Um, 
But my definition of attunement, as I said, is a loving, responsive presence. So loving in that it it's it it is connected, it's heart connected. And responsive means exactly that, that that I feel myself in relationship mm. and I feel you in relationship with me. And and it can look like um it can look like mirroring. It can look like reflecting back what you're you're seeing or feeling in somebody. Um, and in a sense, it's almost sort of like tracking, you know, sort of tracking. I mean, you you probably both, I have a sense you probably both do this with your daughter, just intuitively, you know, like because if we got good enough attunement, we we will sort of do this intuitively. Like mm. we'll we'll notice someone's body language, mm-hmm. we'll notice their breath patterns. We'll notice uh, a look, you know, a little something that just travels across the face ever so slightly. Like you'll, like you are probably both, you said that she's napping. So there's probably some part of you that's actually attuned to Mm. where she is. I mean, look, you're going to always be attuned to where she is in the world because my kids are 26 and 24 and and I'm like, I'm Uh still somewhere (laughs) like tracking them (laughs) in the world. But in a sense, it's like it's it's a sort of emotional sort of following with the intent to to be with and and to to maintain attachment. Mm -hmm. And, you know, one of the best definitions of attachment that I've heard is that it's a trust based bond. Yeah. So and that trust is really built through um, through reliable presence doesn't always have to be accurate Mm. you know one of the best things that we can do and i think in a relationship is to to acknowledge missed attunement and then to course correct with one another yeah because as you're saying that i I find that because attunement in its healthiest form um it requires you to be really tuned into yourself like in Mm. your deepest self that excuse me but having that that rooted um you know, sense of self not coming from fear or not coming mm-hmm. from any other parts of your wounded self or whatever you want to say. Mm. Because as you were describing that, I'm like, oh, I think my mother would have said, and I love her dearly, we've had all these conversations. So I think my mother would have <laughs> said what she would have called, um, what I would call like a very unhealthy relationship living vicariously through me as her son, over parenting, what I would call wildly overparenting, she would probably call attunement. That's yeah. I mean, so you said something really important, which is the fear piece, mm-hmm. because attunement, attunement actually can only take place effectively in in the presence of a regulated nervous system. There you go. Mm. I love that. Okay. So I mean, so when this I when means. I work with yeah, when I work with people, you know, we do I do a lot of nervous system mapping because there's the like I kind of think of like there's three gears to the to the nervous system. Essentially, it's highly you know simplified, but there's the sense of being safe to be in connection, mm-hmm. like safe and open to connection, mm-hmm. or there's sympathetic sort of activation where there's fight or flight, or there's there's the sort of dorsal yeah the mm-hmm. the the third gear is sort of like the dorsal vagal um, of either tender befriend or or freeze or fawn but those are those are usually when there's actually some fear that's present and it's Mm. 
and or a threat. Like there's a threat mm -hmm. to connection. So like over parenting, like, mm -hmm. or sort of engulfing parenting or like too close is actually a fear-based response. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's like, Very good. you know, and, and I think all parents have to navigate that to some degree or another, because, you know, it's people talk about like when you have a kid, like your heart is sort of like walking yes. around outside of you in the world. <laughs> yeah. There's so much to be afraid of. There's so much that can cause that fear. Right. If, including our own childhood pain. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's mm -hmm. what I was going to say. If, if our experience of attunement with our primary caretakers as young children, does it greatly influence and shape the way that we attune to other people? Um, as adults until we take the time and actually kind of look under the hood of this metaphorical vehicle that we are all driving within. And I say that because I, you know, I grew up in a very um, erratic household, meaning the energy of my parents um, was great one moment and then all hell broke loose in the matter of seconds. And what I did is that it clearly created such an anxious attachment style. And that played out in my, you know, young adult life, especially in uh, intimate and romantic partnerships where I never knew I did this until I was dating the woman before I actually met Kara. Um, and she was like, why the fuck are you constantly following me with your eyes <laughs> everywhere I go? So like, creepy. All the way around the house. I, I never knew I did this, but I'm just like constantly monitoring every action because I'm, I'm bracing for impact. Mm -hmm. And so my nervous right. system is in that high alert, like bracing for impact. Mm -hmm. And for the longest time, and I guess my, going back to my question, like, you know, I called that love. I called that attunement. And then it wasn't right. until I started to do the nervous system work and really want like, oh, that's mm. interesting. But still today, even with you, like it was funny because Dr. Nicole LaPera or whatever, I don't really follow her, but she showed up in my Twitter timeline um, and she like did this whole uh, thread on emotional monitoring. I was going to bring this up. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And it's something that I still do today where mm -hmm. I'm constantly like asking her what's wrong. Are you okay? What's wrong? Are you okay? Mm. It's cause I'm monitoring her emotions for this attunement that isn't actually healthy. It's coming from this fear driven unhealed part of me still that I am having fun working on. <laughs> yeah. Oh. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think that we do, like our earliest experiences do sort of imprint this imprint. I, this That's sense of one. like who who I am inside of love. Mm. You know, like Gabor Mate. Um, I just finished the the Compassion Inquiry training program with oh, him, awesome. and and he says, in the beginning, the world creates our mind, and then our mind creates our world. Yeah. And and I think to a certain extent that's true. And again, like that's a lens. And it's not always, it's not like a hundred percent the case. That's why like personal work is so deeply nuanced Yeah, so because true. the research around attachment is actually, it's actually quite interesting. It, it actually shows that our attachment style as children is not necessarily consistent across the lifespan mm. that we can have an anxious attachment style as a child and have a secure attachment style or an avoidant attachment style, like as an adult, that there's not necessarily a strict correlation, but, but we ourselves will be able to track certain patterns. And I mean, I, I really can relate to that. What you're saying, Caleb, about like 
tracking my partner's mm. affect and his presence and you know and and not realizing that actually what i'm trying to do is figure out like am i safe am i safe am i safe am i safe yeah yep. yeah constantly because that shit and, is exhausting and, yeah it really is <laughs> and and long before i actually even knew about nervous system work and that was like a huge game changer for me but long before that like i realized i had so much like at a certain point like so when i got sober so to speak so I did like a very intense 12 step program around food mm. that was sort of like the Navy seals of 12 steps. Cause like it was not only was it no alcohol, but like there were all sorts of definitions of abstinence that were very strict and it was actually exactly what I needed, mm. but I had had so much, prof- I had profound anxiety most of my life. And I mean, to the point where before I had my kids, I had like, from about age 19 to 25, I I actually had a period of about six years of almost dissociative levels of anxiety daily. Mm. And I had no idea. I thought I was just messed up. Like I didn't know that that was like, Oh, this is a highly dysregulated nervous system that does not actually know how to regulate itself. Yeah. In the course of sort of getting sober, I started to see how much like on a daily basis, moment to moment basis, I experienced anxiety. And one of the things I actually had to do was just to say, I'm okay. I'm okay. I'm Mm. okay. Like constantly like this, the, the self-soothing, you know, I mean, had I known about nervous system work then, I don't know if I'd been, I would have been able to access it, but it really was like trying to get myself into a place where I could hold myself because mm-hmm. we we actually do need holding mm. from someone with a regulated nervous system. Yes. This is why certain therapists have been amazing for me. Yes. Because you can sit with them and if they're regulated, sure. like yeah. we we do get co-regulation. Yeah. And we can go from being anxiously like have a sort of a t- anxious a- attachment sort of activated system to a secure attachment system if our partner is someone who's securely attached Mm. and and can embody that and actually convey that like through their limbic system we actually can start to we actually get it at the level of our body without having to you know have some communication technique that that overrides our Mm. our anxiety Mm -hmm. yeah i'm just thinking about when we first met because well, it's we had done a lot of we had, but individual I was still, work. I was. I don't want to say this in like a you know, in a like I'm mad at myself or speaking ill of myself, self-deprecating way, or something. deprecating way. Yeah. Um, but I was still like I literally just got out of a, a previous relationship where my anxious mm. attachment was as high as fucking Mount Everest. Like yeah. it was big <laughs> and tall and strong. But then there was something as you were saying that like. When I met Kara, there was an immediate feeling of safeness that I have never experienced in my life. And it wrecked me in the best of ways. And just from Mm. being around her and in her presence, her capacity and ability Mm. to hold space, it did something to me. Like I Mm. lived into like her, her baseline of her nervous system's her nervous system, I lived into it and it created a new homeostasis within myself. 
And it was just truly a remarkable experience as I look back at that. It's, and it's not that I wasn't doing work in addition to this because I was doing work. Mm. Um, but there was something so real about, oh, this is a completely different experience from previous relationships. And the way that my nervous system is responding to you is wildly different. And I do, and I've said this before, mm. I think it speaks volumes to your emotional state and the work that you did up to that point. Mm. Yeah, it's interesting in hindsight. Um, thank you for giving me a lot of credit. I don't know <laughs> that I am, <laughs> I, I'm deserving of all the credit, but I do think I had a moment a month before I met Caleb where I w I didn't, I didn't know about the nervous system at this point. Now it's my favorite tool to understand. I'm, like the whole I'm obsessed. <laughs> the, we last year we dove really deeply into the autonomic ladder and it's, a, it's something I incorporate with a lot of my clients because it's such a helpful tool, but I didn't know about the nervous system really. And I had a moment about a month before meeting Caleb. I was in a hotel room and I was wrestling with some big life questions, but I had this moment of like, I'm okay. I'm absolutely okay. Even if I don't get what I want in life, I'm okay. Even if no nothing changes from this moment, it was the I'm okayness that was a really mm -hmm. interesting experience for me where I think that I had spent most of my life up until that point feeling like something was wrong. There was always something mm -hmm. wrong. There was always something to fix. And that was my first, at least um, like strong memory of okayness. Mm -hmm. and, and then I met you a month later. So I actually, we talk a lot about the, we were talking offline about this, about the divine timing of our meeting. But I think that if Caleb and I had met earlier, I don't know that we would have had the same interaction. But in the same way, I met you and I felt immediately safe. Yeah, that's why we're soulmates, honey. <laughs> <laughs> but Caleb, when you said that, like all the hair on my body stood up. I, I just got chills because I, I think that that's actually the the power of mm -hmm. the the work that we may do on our own behalf. Mm -hmm. That to to cultivate a nervous system that has that sort of range, like very often that's actually all we have to do. Like mm -hmm. we don't necessarily need to know all the parenting techniques or all the coaching techniques so good, or, yeah. or all the partnering techniques. Like, so good. I think that there is some, there's some strange grace in just being able to feel myself what? while I'm in connection with you, which means that I am in that state of that's safe to be in connection. And, and that's actually part of the generosity. I think that we can offer into a relationship that's, struggling like mm. when 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 we navigate inevitably disconnection because i think that that's part of all relationship experiences mm -hmm. whether that's romantic or with our own parents or with our children or friends but a, a nervous system nervous system fluency is mm. how i think of it like the mm. ability to to actually recognize i i actually may be feeling anxiety or fear and I also can sense that I'm okay. Yeah. Yeah. There is so much generosity in being able to offer just that. And mm. it's not a simple thing because we're working not just with our physiology, but we're working at the level of the mind mm. and our habitual thoughts that may or may not be even conscious. We're working at the level of the heart with our habitual emotions that may or may not be conscious. 
as well as with the body as a vehicle. But I think it's one of the most generous things that we can do and one of the most potent things we can do in any role. Like when I was a nurse, this was actually one of the things that, that fundamentally altered my interactions with patients Mm. was to learn how to get myself into regulation before I walked in the door. What a gift. Check in. What a gift you gave. Yeah. I, I, I'm, I'm having this memory of, I'm not trying to cut you off just as I'm remembering it. Your, um, the language around generosity. Mm. That's really beautiful. I, yeah, that's just really beautiful. Thanks for sharing that. Mm -hmm. Cause it truly is. It's the most generous thing you can do. Yeah. Yeah. Such a reframe of generosity. Yeah, it really is. That's what I'm thinking. When we think of what it actually is. No, I was just having this memory of, um, a couple nurses in my experience, I had an emergency C-section with Sophie. And a couple of them were wildly dysregulated. (laughs) I remember thinking like, get her out of the room. We, we have, we've reminisced on this because you could feel, you could feel her two of them specifically one that I'm thinking of. You could feel her energy so strongly and it was already so much chaos. And I remember thinking, can you calm down? (laughs) (laughs) I'll tell you a little secret is that labor and delivery nurses are very different animals than postpartum and neonatal nurses. And I was a postpartum neonatal nurse. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Different animal. I did not have the nervous system for labor and delivery. I mean, I also did not end up realize like that's why I ended up leaving nursing was Mm. that I realized I did not actually have the nervous system for or hospital-based nursing yeah, or sort of the, the behemoth that is industrialized healthcare, yeah, yeah, which yeah. is a completely different conversation. Yeah. We got to have a whole podcast on that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Multiples. Um, can I ask a question yeah, yeah. as I'm thinking about it? Yep. Are you sure? Yeah. I'm going to hold mine right here. You promise? Yep. I put okay. it in my right, um, right brain. Can, cause I know a lot of people have and are having this experience as we're on the topics of let's talk relationships, attunement, nervous systems. Um, And I don't even know what the question really is, but I think you'll get the gist of it. But I'll give you an example. When I was in a a previous relationship, my nervous system is on high, high alert every single day, right? And I needed, in a lot of ways, to smother, to control, to pour out and to get her as close as I possibly can so that I can feel safe. And a long time, I, I call that love. And obviously, we know what that is. But... Inside of that relationship, how do you, or what advice do you give someone that's inside of a relationship, they recognize that their nervous system is on high alert, they don't actually feel emotionally safe, at what point do you see, stop seeing that relationship as a catalyst to growth and mm. more of, hey, it's time to walk away. Mm, that's a good question. Mm. Like, And I know it's very nuanced and it's not as black and white as people want because I think at some point staying in that experience for me in the name of growth actually was the epitome of self-betrayal. Right. Right. And I realized, shit, like it's time to go get growth somewhere else. I, I got to walk away because <laughs> I, am, I am legitimately betraying myself and it's the betrayal of self that is causing this just this flare up of just unparalleled anxiety, unlike anything I've ever experienced in my life. And so what would you say to somebody that might be having that experience right now? And what advice would you give them to, to navigate it? Yeah. 
I think that's such a beautiful question. And it and you're right, it's it's really nuanced. But what I, I think of like if nervous system dysregulation is sort of like the if we're able to sort of understand, oh, it there's a sort of regular dysregulation, <laughs> like there, like there, there's some kind of dynamic in which, like, I think of dysregulation as almost like inflammation. Mm. Like there's, it's an emotional sort of inflammatory response. And so the first piece really is just in my work one-on-one with someone is starting to talk about like how to identify mm. their state and, and how to gain certain, like there are certain tools that I use to support regulation in a moment to moment kind of way so that they can bring down the level of inflammation. Because when we're in that sort of inflamed state, we actually don't have access to our higher brain functions. Mm -hmm. That's the truth. So being able to actually discern, like to even know like what's actually happening in this interaction right now, let alone do I stay in the relationship? we need to be able to start to gain some little foothold with, with regulation moment to moment. And even if we can't get ourselves into the place of being fully safe to be in connection, you know, where we're sort of like feeling some kind of neutrality, being able to understand when we're in it. So it's partly developing self-awareness and then also the the capacity to tolerate distress. Mm. So we start to open, um, I can't remember the name of the, the researcher or the teacher, but we start start to open like the window of tolerance Tolerance. a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. It's probably Dana. Yeah, actually I want to say his name is David something, but, um, but Deb Dana's work, I mean, anybody who wants to start, I mean, just so good. get on YouTube. So good. Yes. <laughs> so good. Her, like, I, and I've, I've taken several workshops with both of them. And I think that they, they're brilliant together. She's just like, she lives in Maine, actually. That was actually Yay. really exciting for me because it's where I'm from. But um, so starting to understand the, the, our own state and to know where we are in any given moment, because that actually then tells us, yeah. okay, if, if I'm dysregulated right now, like I'm in, I'm in fight or flight or I'm in the sort of appeasing kind of fawning response mm. that starts to open up our options so for, good. for what to do. Like we could just say in that moment, you know what, I'm dysregulated. Uh, let's can we pause whatever's happening right now and Mm -hmm. i'll come back to you and it may be in an hour it may be in two weeks that's that's one piece (laughs) is is working working on our moment to moment self-regulation and and again it's important to remember that like states of anxiety that's a physiological state Mm. But we actually experience it as a mental state, but it, but it's actually something that's happening at the level the of our body. body. Yeah. And for me, you know, the way I relate to anxiety, and again, lens, if it's useful, it's useful. But I, I think of anxiety as sort of like a smokescreen emotion, mm. that it's exceptionally uncomfortable to the point that we will actually go anywhere else but to it. Mm. But but usually behind anxiety, there's some information. Yeah, there's it's usually really some thought or belief 
um, or emotional pattern so that's actually more painful than the anxiety. Yeah, yeah. And and so the anxiety is sort of like trying to keep us away from like what's underneath it or behind it. Yeah, that's the truth. And and it's a physiological state. So it's like we're in a state of believing, and and then therefore perceiving things. And so part of the work is to then be able to actually move towards the anxiety and get curious about, you know, what's underneath. Like, mm. like I realized right, like in the, in the years where I was really finally able to like completely heal anything around the eating disorder, I realized that, that when I was about to go and teach yoga, cause I taught yoga for about 16 years, just as I was about to go teach yoga, whether it was like a couple hours before, sometimes it was a couple of days before, depending on the class that I was teaching or where I was teaching, I would feel anxiety start to mount. And that would usually end up in me binging and purging. And one day I remember literally standing at the cupboard. I'm about to go teach. I'm feeling like a failure because mm. here I am about to binge and purge and then go teach people about self-compassion and yoga. I mean, it was like such a struggle with imposter syndrome. But in that moment, I realized what I was feeling was profound anxiety. And then I just had this moment of curiosity of like, something is compelling me. It's, in, you know, and I could, and I was willing to see that it was anxiety and it was so uncomfortable. Mm. And in that moment, I thought, oh, wait, I'm terrified of that people won't like me. Mm, yeah. And I realized, oh, that was actually driving the anxiety. Yeah. yeah. Like that was actually the deeper thing. Yeah. And so when when we can start to get underneath some of the, you know, the smoke habitual screens. emotions. Yeah. Like shame. Sure. I think shame is sort of a smokescreen emotion. Mm. It's sort of like this big umbrella anxiety. When we start to get underneath those then then I could actually start to have a conversation with this belief of like, people won't like me. They don't want what I have. I mean, mm. these were things that I was, that were like way down in yeah. volume yeah. in my consciousness. Yeah. They weren't even conscious, totally, but they were driving this behavior. Yeah. And then I actually could start to work with that. Mm. And, and I think in the context of a relationship, because we're never not in relationship yeah. in, of mm. some sort, but in the context of a relationship where, we experience a lot of dysregulation or fear or anxiety around the connection, starting to look at beneath the, the dysregulation or sort of, you know, what's driving the dysregulation. There are certain beliefs and you may have come in contact with these after you left that, that relationship where, you know, like there are certain beliefs you might've had about yourself as a man or as, as yeah. like, as somebody in a love relationship, mm. And those are yours. Mm -hmm. The other person may or may not be contributing to that. Mm. And again, that this is the nuanced part. Yeah. And this is where like the whole thing around self-responsibility can get really dicey. Yep. Like that it's never just us. Yeah. But seeing what is it that I'm putting into the space between us that we call intimacy. Yeah. And, and that is composed of who I take myself to be inside of love, who I believe myself to be in terms of like connection and being, you know, wanted or needed or relevant or belonging mm. and starting to skillfully work 
with those. And some people call this mindset, but like that, you know, our thoughts dictate some of our state, but our body also gets body. habituated to yeah. a certain state. Yeah. Yeah. That's <laughs> so like it starts to get like, there's so many legs to it. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. Yes. There's so many legs. I remember, and I'm going to let you ask your question. No, you're good. Um, just for the longest time, because my body, like, connection, mm. I only knew connection through disconnection. Like, mm. I only knew um, connection through friction, right? I needed to create big points of friction so that I can feel connection, because mm. that that's what my body, like, was so used to. Mm. Um, yeah. Anyways, that's just a t- random thought. But I want to just go back and reiterate, because the, the smoke screen and the the smokescreen emotions and what's beneath them it's a really beautiful uh way of describing or explaining that so thank you for that because i think it's mm-hmm. remarkably helpful mm-hmm. um but what you said earlier around like learning how to just you know self-regulate tune into what you need in the moment and saying you know hey give me five minutes or f- shit give me five days whatever it is that you need is so vital because when i look back at that relationship the question that i consistently asked myself was should i stay or should i go mm. and looking back mm-hmm. and i know this to be true now and just to bring it up here it was the wrong question to ask. <laughs> the question that I needed to ask is, what do I need to feel safe in this moment? Mm. Because right. that was such a big question that was wrapped in so much uncertainty and vulnerability yeah. and fear. Like my nervous system was not about to allow me to understand the answer to that big question because I wasn't ready to hold that question. Yeah. And so if we can begin <laughs> to realize that, especially if you are in a relationship right now and you're asking that question and it just continues to you know, create more dysregulation or internal chaos, stop asking that question. Well, and, and it's a future question. <laughs> it's a future question. It's a future yeah, question about so well. something outside. Whereas the question of what do I need in this in moment, moment to feel safe is a present question yeah. that you can actually address and look at and answer. It's true. And mm-hmm. it's, and it's, and if you are not used to that question, it is remarkably foreign mm-hmm. and it's going to feel like, I don't know what the fuck I need a beer. <laughs> I like it, it, <laughs> you. It's going to take time to really learn how to uh, answer that question in a way. And the last thing I'll say to it is because when you can ask yourself that question, what you are essentially doing and correct me if I'm wrong, Christy, but what I've learned to be true is I am taking those tolerable steps to teaching mm-hmm. my nervous system to be safe in the moment that I'm held in the moment that I'm okay here and now. And as I do that time and time again, in moments of dysregulation, I'm mm-hmm. essentially moving from stress to stretch, increasing my tolerance level of what my nervous system can handle so that when that big question comes up, I have the capacity to actually answer that question from a place of groundedness and not a place of fear. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's what you're describing. That question to me, that's loving responsive presence yes. with yourself. Yes. Beautiful. Mm-hmm. You know, because, because what do you do when, you know, when your daughter kind of goes, mm, 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 you know, about something uh-huh. you kind of lean in and you ask, what is it that she needs? Yeah. yeah. And just like a baby, you know, they don't, they can't actually say, Oh, I'm too hot right now. <laughs> you know, but you will start to scan her. Like you you mm-hmm. won't even know you're doing it. You'll be like, "Oh, her face is flushed yeah. and she's, you know, she's squirming and she's trying to actually get her, you know, her jacket off." And you'll then deduce. And for each of us it's actually very similar. And I think you make so such good. an important point that when we start asking that question, we won't necessarily have an answer. Mm. So many people, you know, like 
so many people will say like, I don't know what I need and just sort of leave it there with a sense of failure. But yeah. I learned this in, in actually trying to like get myself from disordered eating to intuitive eating, mm -hmm. which was a several years long process that, you know, I, I didn't have really great maps for, but my, my, the only way I knew to soothe myself was through food. Yeah. And that's actually really common for people with who have a history of not having good attunement mm. in, with caregivers, like either really issues with food or with sex, mm -hmm. food, sex, and love. They, you know, they, they speak to attunement injuries. What does it say to you if you have all three? <laughs> 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 but the, but in answering that question, like, Oh, I don't even, I wouldn't even know how to feed myself. And then in the most distressed moments when the only thing that, you know, our, our, our addictions don't actually work, but they're the thing that are the closest mm. approximation. But in the absence of using the thing that had worked, very often it was like, I don't even know what will work. Yeah. And so sometimes yeah. it's just tolerating that moment of having a need where we don't know what will what will meet it yeah and sometimes it's it's you know I, I call it learning what kind of cat we are mm -hmm. you know like experimenting and seeing oh bubble bath didn't do it up oh, getting out in nature mm -hmm. didn't do it you know asking my partner to you know to snuggle with me on the bed and yeah. just let me cry oh wait that did it yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah. it's like a it's like a complete relearning we're and a trying. Our, we're building yeah. our treasure maps. Yeah. I <laughs> love, Christy, I love the smoke screen idea. I love it. It's such a helpful tool. And I I keep thinking about how um, I, I use the term with clients, I use the term embodied remembrance because mm. so often behind this smoke screen is some embodied yeah. remembering of my dad didn't meet my needs or my mom didn't meet my needs or at the this one time when I was 13, somebody said this thing. And there's there's this memory that is so deeply, you, you said it so well, like stuffed so far down in the Rolodex of, of memories. And it takes moving through the, the smoke screen to actually ever access that. Mm -hmm. And I am, mm -hmm. I love that you named that it's body because so often I hear people say, change your mind, change your mind, change your mind. And you actually can't yeah. <laughs> until you <laughs> allow the body to lead. I recently learned this thing um, in astrology. Caleb's heard me talk about this, but um, I was teaching a workshop on embodiment. And I, the night before I was like, what am I going to teach? And one of my friends who's an astrologer, she broke down the order of the planets for me. And I had this light bulb moment. But the first planet in the order of planets is Aries. The second planet is Taurus. Mm -hmm. And the third planet is Gemini. And Aries represents breath like original breath, original energy, original spark. Mm -hmm. Taurus rules the body and it uh, represents creative expression. And then Gemini represents the mind. So even in the order of the planets, what we see is energy, body, mind, so which good. I think is such a fascinating uh -huh. paradigm to work with because yes, the mind matters, but so often we can't actually access what's informing the mind un unless we go into the body and we deal with what the body's storing and and now we're in like such a time of yeah. luxury where we're we have teachers like Gabor Mate who are teaching us about how trauma is stored and how memories are stored. 
Um, but I just love that paradigm for life thinking, even in the, in, even in the order of creation, <laughs> yeah. it's energy, body, mind. It's really beautiful. Oh, I, I love that. I've never heard that. That's incredibly beautiful. And it, it, it resonates for me like that, you know, we're, that we're, we're working on all of those levels. Yeah. When, when we sit with someone who's trying to navigate anything around love or self-expression. Mm. Yeah. So here's, I think love is a form of self-expression. Yeah. Right. Here's my question and I'm going to fumble over it because I haven't articulated it clearly in my mind yet, but you said this earlier in relationship to disordered eating, eating disorder, it came down to not having certain needs met. So my question is, are most of our, uh, is most of our out of order attunement because we're not getting our needs met and we don't know how to meet them ourselves or we don't, we didn't have a caregiver that is meeting them. Does it, is there a direct correlation between needs being met and that sense of attunement? I think generally, yeah. I mean, I, I, I do feel that um, certainly been my personal experience and, and I, I've yet to meet somebody who, who really, who experienced great attunement from their parents. And there are those people <laughs> like just, it just wasn't my experience. Lucky them. Lucky I them. know, lucky them. <laughs> um, you know, and and sometimes it can be that there there was adequate attunement, but there was also something that was traumatic. Mm-hmm. Um, but usually, you know, it's interesting. Gabor talks about this where he says, you know, trauma isn't just what happened to us. It's it's what it's what happened inside of us as a result of what happened to us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But very mm-hmm. often it's that preceding the trauma, there was the awareness that there was no one there. Mm. Like that there was actually not somebody that you could go to. Yeah. So that's actually the, the loss of attunement precedes trauma. Wow. In a sense. So like, so we, we might be able to navigate our lives very well with sort of inadequate or inaccurate attunement. But if we end up experiencing then trauma, particularly as a, as a young person, Mm -hmm that that actually can impair our capacity to receive what might even be there mm-hmm. because that like that trauma then without without someone to help us hold it and make sense of it it does start to shape i mean trauma has a yeah. has an impact on our brain physiology mm-hmm. and 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 can further sort of alter again who we take ourselves to be and and how we ha- believe we have to show up or not show up so you know, it's like interesting. James Hillman in this, the the Soul's Code talks about. He really refutes the whole trauma lens, mm. which I find really fascinating. It's like again, it's like another really interesting lens. He sort of talks about the idea of the acorn that we that we kind of come in like the acorn knows it's going to be an oak, mm. and that we come in with. Um, he uses the the sort of the Greek term diamond or or diamond or daemon. Um, that there's some essential aspect of our soul that wants to be expressed in this life and that we come in specifically to environments where that's going to get, you know, either 
it's either going to get polished very quickly, like early on in certain con in, like with certain circumstances, or that will actually require that we bring forth our oakness mm -hmm. out of our acorn. And the, the trauma lens itself can really have us missing the the truth of our acorn mm. by, by sort of fixating on the trauma. So mm. it, it like, and this is a very high level because I don't want anyone to think that I'm denying trauma. Yeah. That, mm -hmm. Like, mm -hmm. like that was a huge aha for me that I experienced trauma. Like, and I'm talking like not that long ago, I realized this. <laughs> uh -huh. It was like a massive, like, Oh, and it was so useful for me to be like, oh my God, all of those things were actually trauma. Yeah. And like much of it is what has shaped who I am yes. today yes. and, and what I've become capable of. Yeah. So I don't, I, I don't regret any of it. Like mm -hmm. all of it was necessary. I don't know. I don't know if I answered your question. In fact, I might've just completely gone off no, piste. <laughs> no, it's beautiful. It's, it's beautiful. Really I really, I love that distinction about trauma because I think that we, we've talked about this recently. We have loved the line pleasure heals trauma. And mm. I think that we have to acknowledge and understand our trauma. Pleasure or play? Pleasure. But play too, I think is a, I mean, pleasure and play for yeah. me go hand in hand, yeah. but I think we have to understand our trauma, mentally work through it sometimes, but I think there's another level that you're speaking to of becoming the oak and recognizing mm -hmm. that it, it did shape all of who I am and I don't like it and it wasn't comfortable and it was terrible. Yeah. And also, I like the and also. I have, uh, it's just a, we say this with uh, the utmost compassion for people 100%. that have gone through just absolutely horrendous experiences. Yeah. Um, but I can definitely. It's more like the, for me, the personal sure. perspective of. I get it. Yeah. Yeah. I can now see the pur purpose is the wrong word, but I can see the. How it's all working for me. It's yeah. all coming together. There's a completion. There's a wholeness mm -hmm. on the other side. There's a, like, that's a very high level lens to be able to say that this has happened for me yeah and i mean i had to do a lot of work mm -hmm. around my early experiences in order to be able to say that but when i was actually able to say that particularly about like certain like certain parts of my early history mm. it actually was the piece that helped me to really reclaim so good. Like to truly see truly. myself mm. and and what I've created with my life and that I created it. Yeah. yeah. Like I've yeah. had a lot of help and I've stood on the shoulders of giants, but that is has been my creation. It's a lot of agency. And yeah. it was so it was such a powerful shift for me to be able to say all those things that happened, you know, whether it was with, with my father or with my mother you know, with my brother, like that those things actually cultivated in me. Like I am, I am a devoted mother mm. and I have done immense work on healing my lineage as I, as, as I mother. And I could not have actually been that kind of fiercely devoted to 
to gifting something else to my children had I not had those experiences. Mm, beautiful. So I get to then sort of hold that as like, this was not only for me, but this is what I did with it. Yeah. yeah. So good. Thank it's you for beautiful. sharing that. Mm. Um, do you have anything else on your heart? Because I have one more question. No, go for it. Are you sure? Yeah. Uh, and I want to respect your time because uh, I will also love just for somebody that's hearing this and being like, attunement, yes, need more of that. <laughs> Step one, two, three. Um, and also hire Christy. Um, but I would love to hear your thoughts on, as we are all in relationship and we're in relationship with everything, it's how we do things, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and we've been talking so much about relationships with early childhood caretakers, romantic partnerships, friendships, all the things. Um, I would love to talk about the correlation between attunement, success, and burnout. Ooh. Mm. Because I feel like my pursuit of success, I don't feel like I know as I have looked back throughout my own healing journey, that it was never about like chasing the NFL. It was never about this, you know, you know, this dream and purpose that I was told that God had for me, you know, externally, that's what it was about. Externally, that's what it was about. You know, like getting to the NFL because it's God's plan for my life, blah, 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 blah. But I I Mm. knew as I began to heal and this was, this was became increasingly more clear um, just a, a couple of years ago, probably that it was never about the NFL as much as it was about chasing this form or this idea of reality where I would be free from vulnerability. In other words, I'd, mm. I would be safe. If I could just get there, I would be safe. I'd be in control. I'd have this big and bad, better life. Nobody could see the real me. Like, I'm, I'm safe. So mm. I was chasing safety. And, and, and for the sake of this conversation, I was chasing attunement. Like, mm. I was chasing mm. this elevated version of life where if I could just get there, I'd finally find this sense of safety. Mm. And obviously, that's not how it works. And I'm wondering if you have any thoughts on, like, people's you know, ruthless ambition and dogged determination to make something of themselves and what they are chasing can only be found within themselves and in the external pursuit, we're actually distancing ourselves from the real work that needs to be done. And as a result Mm. of that, burnout is inevitable. Mm. Yeah. Well, I mean, now I'm really curious to know more about your history because like that, that was such a tantalizing piece, like the Uh, NFL. Oh yeah, sorry. (laughs) But but no, no, I love it. I mean, I, I, I love hearing people's stories. Like I'm, I'm always so deeply curious about, you know, what people have walked mm-hmm. in and through. Mm-hmm. Um, I think when, when we, we, we don't have like self attunement really online, we, we are, so that's, that's an internal orientation is yes. self attunement. It's good. It's not to the exclusion of of the external, but but it's self self attuned first is what enables us to attune to the outside world and to and to to attend to our connection to yeah. it. So when we don't have that, that what's you what usually is going to happen is that we're going to be like externally focused or externally oriented. So we're going to look for external metrics of success, external metrics of safety, external metrics of belonging. So good. 
as opposed to internal metrics, like the internal Mm. sensation. So I'm not going to use the term metric because metric is like an evaluatory Mm. judgment, like, you know, sort of assessing and, and exactly. And, and when we are internally rooted through the, like through the sort of vehicle of self-attunement, we actually have the felt sense, you know, to speak to what Kara was saying, like that embodied sense of our our own belonging like i belong to myself mm-hmm. yeah. and and so burnout is less likely and when you say burnout like i mean that's why i ended up leaving nursing as a career and and look i was at a place where like i was experiencing very high levels of mastery like mm-hmm. really successful in what i did i'm i'm an excellent diagnostician intellectually it was just such a fascinating job for me i loved I love working. I love walking into it. Like I love to extemporize. Like that's in case you haven't noticed, like I'm happy to talk about anything at any time. And I'd love walking into a room and not really knowing except for the report I'd gotten what I was going to find. And then having to sort of meet that in a creative and clinically like effective way. And yet I had to realize like the last couple of years of working as a nurse and I left about almost two years ago now and have not looked back. Mm. But the last two years of working as a nurse, I was really working on regulating my nervous system. Like, so my personal work was really around like being able to hold myself. Mm. And the reason I left was because I got to the point where it was so clear that I could not actually stay regulated in that environment, no matter how skillful I was, Mm. Mm -hmm. that I was just not the kind of cat that can handle constant emergency, constant, you know, like devastation, like social issues that are devastating, like the moral injury, like that, all of that was such a heavy burden that there's no way I could stay regulated inside of that. And for me, that's the sort of awareness of like the more self-attuned you become, the clearer you become about what kind of cat you are (laughs) and whether or not that ambition, which I mean, look, being in the NFL, like if that's really right for you, great. Mm. Except there might've been something around that kind of striving that was actually self-abandonment and self-injurious. Absolutely. And so like being in that environment as a nurse was self-injurious. Like the fact that some days I wouldn't take lunch until 5 p.m. on a shift that started at 7 a.m. And that's not that's not functional for a human body. Yeah. Yeah. So I think that the more we the more we start to internally orient and bring that loving, responsive presence, like I would leave and it would take me days to recover from a single shift. Mm. And if I'm actually in a loving, responsive presence with myself. I'm not actually going to allow anyone that I love to experience that kind of distress. So good. Beautiful. So I don't know if that answers your question. So beautiful. Absolutely. I'm learning so much talking to you. I want to keep talking for hours. (laughs) It's been really fun. I always get so sad when we come to the end of a really good conversation because I'm like, there's so much wisdom here. Yeah. Um, so for somebody that is listening to this, you, Kara mm-hmm. has said it, but you've been just wonderful. This is essentially why we love doing the podcast because it's like, oh, we're learning, we're learning. And, um, and I know, and I'll, I'll say this, you know, 
I know for you to share the wisdom that you are now sharing, um, it's cost you. And I know the journey for you probably, is, although I don't know what it is, I know it's cost you. And just, I can speak for both of us when I say we honor you for saying yes to your own journey mm-hmm. um, so that you can have these type of conversations and just really share your wisdom with the world because it truly is healing. Yeah. And so thank you for that. Um, and then thank you. the last question, and I alluded to it earlier, um, for somebody that's listening to this and recognizes the need for attunement with themselves mm-hmm. so that they can really tune in with the loving presence with the people around them and ultimately just radically expand the quality of their lives as they deepen their relationships with self and with others. Um, where can they start? Like, What would be a good starting point? Yeah, I, I think that there are so many roads home, mm-hmm. as, as others have said. Really, any presence practice. I mean, I think something as simple as, you know, sitting with a, I love using timers because they give our mind the, the rest of like trying to figure out when to stop. But <laughs> yeah. sitting with a timer for like 10 or 15 minutes or 20 minutes, and simply being present with sensation in the body without mm. evaluating it, without yeah. trying to dis- make a distinction, just to notice the sensation of where we are in contact with the environment, what's ha- the sensation of, of having a body, like something really simple of the, but then something like yoga. I mean, yeah. anything that builds our capacity to notice mm. and be with, mm-hmm. um, Another, you know, really, you know, sort of more confronting practice that I actually think is brilliant. And I'm going to, I want to actually name the the person that I, you know, that brought this into my awareness, a guy who wrote a book uh, called Love Yourself Like Your Life Depends On It. His name is Kamal Ravikant. Mm -hmm. I love his book and he teaches how to do a very short self-presence practice using the mirror. Mm -hmm. So mirror work which nobody loves <laughs> but it is for me it's life-changing yeah. and it because we have actually like we have neurons that are that are for eye contact yeah. and that is one of the things that tells us we're experiencing attunement mm. <laughs> is eye contact wow so eye contact with ourselves very confronting but it actually starts to build both the capacity and meet the need wow. for attunement. So there can be really simple practices, mm-hmm. but really anything that allows you to feel yourself mm-hmm. without judgment, without a story attached. It takes time and practice. That's so good. Yeah. It's beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. It's really beautiful. And if you're new to that, just know that you'll start doing it. And you'll start saying to yourself, what am I doing? This This isn't working. This is so dumb. (laughs) For (laughs) sure. Know that that is, you're on the right path. Keep going. Keep going. (laughs) My my first practice of mirror work was in my twenties. And I remember being like, I am crazy. And then after a month, I was like, oh my gosh, this is working. (laughs) That's why I just, that's why I eat Uh mushrooms. (laughs) (laughs) That too. (laughs) another podcast myself (laughs) um uh this has been such a joy thank you so much for uh, taking time out of your day and yes thank you for your wisdom and um i know you do a lot of work with women and we'll be 
in couples in, in couples and we will put all of that in the description to this podcast but just for the people listening you listening to you uh, where can they find more about you I share a lot of my writing on Facebook. Awesome. So you, you can hear a lot about my own story and um, and about some of the the teaching that I offer in the work that I do, both one-on-one and with groups. I also have a sub stack that you can subscribe oh, to. Amazing. But Facebook has sort of been the main way that uh-huh. people can kind of feel who I am and and get a sense of, you know, if I have something that they would like to get closer to. Awesome. Beautiful. Thank you so much. 